In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope. Bring your pole, oil, and rope. And try not to go down in a heap. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you live from beautiful Northeast Minneapolis. And today I'm joined by Jason Connerly from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Thanks for coming on the show, Jason. Oh, thanks for having me, Rob. I'm happy to be here. Cool. So uh, in my What's Popular podcast, I was kind of talking about um, you know, what videos and YouTube stuff has become so popular. And Jason reached out and said, hey, maybe we should watch one of these videos together and then you know, just kind of collaborate on our, our feelings about it. And I figured, well, why don't we do the one YouTube site that seems to be the most popular, at least of the ones that came up in my general search, and that was the Dungeon Dudes, who I had never heard of before. Had you heard of these guys before? I, I have not. Yeah. Yeah, this was first time for me. And I have no idea what they're if they have any, you know, like claim to fame other than this YouTube channel or whatever, I, I did go back and watch like their very first video just to see if they laid out their bona fides or something or, or talked about their, their history with the game or whatever. And, um, it didn't have anything like that. So I don't know, but what I do know is they've got 243,000 or no, 245,000, like yeah, subscribers some of, or, or something like that. Oh yeah, I was gonna say some of these videos. Yeah, I was looking through some of their videos. Have you know, like ha- almost half a million views. Yeah, you know, four hundred thousand some views. Which, when I think of the people, I I don't watch a lot of YouTube. I just mm-hmm. don't have time. But the people I do, like Seth Skorkowski or even like Professor Professor Dungeon Master over in Dungeon Craft, mm-hmm. those are like in the teen. You know, they, they get like twenty thousand, thirty thousand yeah. views of an episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you and then you get to people like, you know, the other people that I like, like Matt Finch and stuff, and he gets, you know, maybe at most a couple thousand and uh and even like Questing Beast doesn't get that many and you know, some smaller things like Tenkar and I mean he's counting more like in the hundreds rather than thousands, so Right. I, I guess the first thing you jumped out with, and, and mind you, I haven't watched any of their actual plays. These guys do actual plays, which I, I don't watch actual plays. But these guys are really boring to watch. The, the <laughs> video was, I, I feel, you said you watched it again this morning, so you've watched this thing twice. And, and it's a slog. I mean, I would have turned this off really early on, at least with, um, like, say, Seth Skorkowski or Professor Dungeon Master. They're putting up you know, visuals during their, you know, they, they switch things, they throw things up on the screen, they're doing things to make it lively, they're having fun. These guys are just two talking heads, and they're monotone and boring as heck. Yeah, and, and I, I, yeah, this is only one video I've watched of theirs, and I kind of felt the same way. Um, they're, they don't try to really inter- interject any humor into it or anything either. It's just kind of uh, these two guys. So the two guys, the, the Dungeon Dudes, are Monty Martin and Kelly McLaughlin. Um, so, but yeah, they've got 242,000 subscribers. I chose this video, 10 terrible DM traits in D and D, um, mainly because it's, I don't know, speaking to kind of what I'm 
the the points I'm driving at with this what's popular kind of thing is like what what might be influencing other people in the in the hobby. So if two hundred and forty three thousand people viewed this thing, or at least that that's how many views. There's probably people that have watched it more than once or whatever. But um, I just was interested in this. Plus, it's one of the their few videos that didn't have five e on the tag. So I thought, well. This might just be general like game master advice, which it kind of seems to be. It doesn't seem to be pertinent to uh, to five E in particular. It's more pertinent, I think, to just D and D in general. But I think there are in general like traits you can apply to any kind of refereeing and like RPG. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I did pull up one of their other videos. And I, well, I didn't watch it. I kind of like fast forwarded because you can kind of see the. You know, drag if you drag the the thing ahead on the video, you can kind of you know view the video, yeah. and or you know see the screenshots. And, and the other videos, at least the talking head ones, appear to be the same thing, just them sitting there talking, <laughs> <laughs> just like this one is. There's no so, which, yeah, so it could be a podcast, but I guess YouTube is a much better way to capture audience, or it seems to be. I don't know. Do you think some podcasts actually get that many listens? I mean, like Ken and Robin, or I, I don't know what are the Happy Jacks. I don't know one of those super popular podcasts, but yeah, they, they might. I don't know. Well, YouTube definitely gets more. So I know a number of the people on Anchor have now started putting their things up on YouTube, mm-hmm. and and they're you know like I, I know Pete over Dragons Are Real has done that, and um, Arnold Walker does a com- combination. Arnold Walker's is live from Pelham's Wasteland. Yeah, he does YouTube and podcasts, and he tries to curate where he puts some content on one and other content on the other, and. Yeah, I don't know. I, I There's different audiences out there. I mean, for me, I don't work at home, and I don't have unlimited data on my phone, yeah. so I can't watch YouTube that much because if I'm at home, I have other things to do, and if I'm out yeah. and about, I, you know, I'm not going to waste all my data. Right, and it does chew up more data, doesn't it, than audio only? I don't know. I have right. an unlimited plan, so I don't, I don't really know, but I, but I still don't watch really YouTube that much. Yeah, I mean, I download podcasts and then listen to them. I don't, you know, but yeah. but either way, it's it, even if I was going to watch YouTube, it, like I say, these guys are. I mean, they're <laughs> well. Let's get into their advice because yeah, it's yeah. not horrible advice. But no, it's, no, yeah. I there's some things that really like jumped out at me. Like, oh, we really have a different philosophy. But mm-hmm. but so yeah, it's ten, their top ten list of terrible DM traits, which you know. That might be a little clickbaity, but they do say terrible many times in the in the show. So it's you know they are actually think this is terrible advice. So number one was not being prepared. And right. Um, well, first of all, they they uh, they put an umbrella statement over all this by saying that the the all encompassing rule is that you have to have trust between the players and the DM. Which yeah, I guess I can't you know it's not. I'm not going to argue with that. It's it's not like I want there to be mistrust between the the players and the DM, but um, I guess I just take that as a given. And unless someone gives me a reason for not trusting them, I don't. I give them the benefit of the doubt. So, whatever. yeah, well, yeah, I agree. I mean, definitely, once that trust is broken, then you're going to have problems. If you show up to a con- event convention game. Or, you know, an online game, whatever. But if you show up with people you haven't played with before and the DM is obviously floundering and, and not doing a good job or doing something wrong, then that's going to affect your, your enjoyment of the game. Yeah. And if you as a DM notice a player's fudging roles or doing this or, 
yep. you know, doing shady things. So the, I agree, trust is important. But, well, I guess one thing, and this will come up numerous times as we discuss this, is there's a difference in a group that you've played. Like your group, you guys have played for decades, yep. right? Yep. So it's different for you playing with your group. And if you were going to run a one, sh- go to a convention and run a, you know, you, you show up at your local convention and run a game with people you've never played with before. Absolutely. And that's, that's something I try to point out a lot in my podcast is I'm, that's my point of view is this long-term group. So I really have a hard time. I mean, I can, I think I can empathize and associate, you know, that kind of concept of having a, you know, new players or a one shot with people that you've maybe met before, but have never played with before and all that. But my experience is confined to, to just playing with my friends sometimes a few family members, but mainly just long-term friends. So yeah, it's a totally different experience. Which kind of, we get into this first one, not being prepared for the game. So they, they kind of hit two different things. One of the, the first thing I mentioned is make sure you're familiar enough with the rules to, to run the game, which is, you know, fair. You're not going to memorize all the rules, but you should, if you're going to run the game, you should be very familiar. You shouldn't have to look up something every two minutes in the rule book or, so oh, I don't remember how that works and because that definitely would affect the game. But the second thing they go into is if you're going to run an organized game at a store convention, make sure you're prepared enough to run that scenario, Yeah, which makes sense. Sure. I, I can't argue that. Yeah. And I'm not going to argue with this either. The, I guess the, the, the takeaways is um, one of the points they made in this part was the biggest thing about not being prepared as a DM is it tells the players that you don't care. And I, I wonder if, like, if they have a player advice section or terrible traits for players, if they, if they bring this up again and, and the reverse holds true that, you know, a trait of being a terrible player is not being prepared, not knowing your character and all that. Um, so. Right. Other... And, and the, the other thing, uh, sorry to interrupt. No, the, the other thing about not be not caring. It could mean that, but not necessarily. If if somebody's a new DM, any if they've looked over the rules and all, it you know they it might not be they don't care. It might be they're just inexperienced. So I think there is a there is a line there between now. If you just show up and you know with a scenario and and you haven't read that module at all, so throughout the entire game you're like, oh hold on, let me read what's in this room. Yeah, and yeah, that means the DM. I would agree <laughs> that's the DM doesn't care. Right. But right. but if some but if it's a, a new somebody that's new at DMing, and and they're just unsure. I think that's different. Yeah. And they do kind of just kind of water the whole thing down at the very end by saying, whatever being prepared means to you as a DM, be that and you'll be just fine. So so it's like, okay, whatever. Um, Right. So maybe it's, maybe it's, I guess becoming, coming like completely half-assed. Yeah. That's a terrible trade. Not going to disagree. The next one, number two is showing favoritism and the counter of this appearing out as though you're being out to get a player when you're the DM. So they, they remark that both of these things are bad, which they are. And and, yeah, I I don't think either of us would disagree with that. And one easy thing, what they talk, one thing they bring out a point is, well, what if certain players are always getting better treasure and this and that? Well, if you roll treasure up randomly, that's not an issue now, is it? <laughs> right. That, that's, I had the same note written down as like, what do you, I mean, do people, I'm sure there are DMs out there that, that pl- give away treasure with specific characters in mind. But 
you know, once the once the players find the treasure, it's it's out of the DM's hand. I mean, they divvy up the loot, don't they? I mean, it's not like just because you give the party a plus two dagger doesn't mean, oh, it's going to go into the hands of the magic user because that's the only weapon he can use. You know, it's... Um, I mean, some things, if there's only one magic user and they have a... They, they get a wand of fireballs, okay, yeah, that's going to be the magic users, probably. But, you know, most right. other things are, you know, could go to, you know, just about any character, so it's... uh yeah, I don't, I don't understand that really. Yeah, yeah this kind of goes into, we'll talk about later on, they talk about problem players near the end. And this goes into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they tie together a little bit. But definitely, you, you as a DM, you can't show favoritism towards one player or the other. And, and, and you, you know, I, I agree. This principle is true. And, yeah. But, I mean, this should be in, you know, just in life in general, right? But yeah. the, the, other, the other thing they bring up here is they talk about something I see, and this is almost a totally di- a, a discussion on its own, is DM-controlled PCs. Yeah. And, and this is an ongoing thing I hear a lot on, with younger players and people who play these ga- you know, 5e and these other games, and I see it a lot on these YouTube videos and stuff. They talk about you know, DM-controlled PCs, and this is a problem. And, and I guess it's always been a problem. Yeah. But if you know, you can't let your NPCs run away. The the NPCs DMs running is part of the party, and that's what we're talking about is yeah. a, a DM control character in the party. You can't let them be the heroes of the game, and you can't let them run away with the game. Which, you know, again, I totally agree with that. You, you know, you need to let the players be the heroes. Yeah, it would, it would, the example I I've heard that I think best exemplifies that is it would be like if you were running the. Uh, the rings, the Fellowship of the Ring and stuff as a game and the DMPC was Gandalf, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, yeah, Gandalf basically fixes all their problems and stuff. So um, if he were the DMPC, that would be kind of irksome, I think, as a player. Right. Um, or Although the, the alternative to this, and, and we're getting off in the weeds, I know it's my fault, but where you look at how Gandalf's using the Hobbit, he's still... Gandalf is a DMPC and the Hobbit is still pretty powerful, but because he's gone a lot of the time, he's not stealing the show as much. Yeah. You know, the parties, they're done with the trolls, right? You know, the trolls, yeah. the parties. So you bring in Gandalf, you save the day so they don't get eaten, but then he goes away again. You know, he doesn't help with the spiders yeah. in Mirkwood. You, yep. you know, so, so that's a better way to handle that character than in, yeah, in Lord of the Rings where he's obviously. Yep. Yeah. And the last thing to, uh, to bring up in this this part the showing favoritism as they also mention favoritism to yourself as the dm and that it's this isn't your game the players are the heroes the dm is just the storyteller and i don't <laughs> i don't agree with that so much i mean yeah i don't think the dm should be like the uh the end all to the game i mean obviously it's a game where everyone at the table is there to engage and stuff but it seems like the uh, the overall gist, and I'll I'll bring up a couple of quotes from the dungeon dudes through this is that you're basically they're kind of advocating just keeping the players happy as your main job as DM, and uh, mm-hmm. I I think that's bunk. But anyway, the next thing they 
number three is listening and accepting feedback. Uh, so as the as the DM, you should be you know have a have an atmosphere where the players feel like they can they can air their grievances or at least tell you their preferences and what maybe is not working for them. And you should, you know, take that seriously and, and take it to heart and, and be open to self-examination, which I'm not going to argue with that at all. But the interesting thing is at the top of the show, they also said that you're, you know, solving these 10 terrible DM traits or any DM issues they're basically saying it has to come from ourselves because the players are too afraid or don't know what to do when there's a problem. <laughs> so it's, I don't know, they're kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth saying that you need to listen to and accept feedback, but, well, okay, but they're also saying the players typically are too afraid or don't know what to do, so they're not giving you feedback. So, it, I don't know. Right. I'm I... just... No, go ahead. I'm just being too picky. <laughs> Maybe the, so I, I think obviously player feedback is important and, and ideally this is going to happen, you know, after the session, not during, not in the middle of the game. Right. But, but you do, you know, one thing they, they point out that is totally valid is you, you want to run a game the players want to play in. So if all your players are fans of D and D and they want to play a high fantasy game and, and then you say, no, I, I just want to run this game. That's a, the thieves guild where you're urchins. So you're all human children or human teenagers and, and and you all have to be thieves and, you know, you don't have any options and the, and they want to play something, you know, it's not going to go well because you're not on the same sheet of music, which so, and I think that is an important, you know, important thing to, to look at. And this kind of goes into something they'll talk about later on too, with, um, with, with uh, inconsistent rulings, inconsistent, unfair and draconian rulings, is something, you know, if you have to make a ha- we'll, we'll get to it when we get to it, but this ties into that as well, listen to the feedback from the players. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You have to have buy-in from your players and stuff, but I think there's I think there's maybe a little bit of a difference between buy-in from your players and then just like making it a giveaway game. So Oh, yeah, agreed. No, yeah, I think you need to include the things they enjoy doing. Yeah. Because they want to, you know, would be there, but it doesn't. It definitely shouldn't be a gimme, you know. It's and if it's all gimme, how fun is that anyway? Right. You, you know, you want it to be challenging. Yeah, and there's there's a, a a couple of quotes in this section too that to me are kind of a tell as to their inclinations. Is uh, here's a quote: As a DM, your goal is to create an experience for the players at your table. What kind of experience they want to have, and what their idea of a fun game is, is very important to you as a DM in running a great game for them. Um, and then later, I think these quotes are both from uh, Kelly. I can assure you that if the players around the table are having a great time, then you will have a great time and will be proud of creating the positive uh, experience. So, uh, nope. You yeah, could, I, everyone yeah. could be having a great time, but if, 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 you know, they wanted to play a Marvel superhero game, and you hate Marvel superheroes. They might all be having a great time, but that doesn't mean you are. You know, right? So. Yeah, definitely. And, and but although that would feed into one of their, that would feed into their tenth talk, yeah. their tenth point. But, yep. Yeah, yeah. So, so the next uh, uh, topic, the next, the fourth point, 
our terrible DM trait is uh, respecting player boundaries. Right. And that goes into like a session zero kind of thing, having, uh, you know, coming to an agreement out over what's acceptable at the table and what's not, what are trigger points for players and whatnot. So, yeah. And I've got no issues with this one. And again, this goes back into the idea of playing with a, a group you've been with for 20 years compared to, you know, a group you don't know. Well, you know your you know the boundaries for your players for the most part. I mean, yep. something could always pop up, but in general, right. you know how far you can push horror, or you can, far you can push. You know if you can do body horror, things like that. Yeah. Where if you're running convention game, you, you really don't know that. Right. Or if you've organized a new group online, you you really don't know that until you've you know like if you and I played, we've never played a game together. Right. So I think we have some idea of our each other's sensibilities, but. You know, to be fair, we, you know, if I was running a game and wanted to get into Hellraiser style body horror or something, you, you know, I don't know if that would bother you or not. You, right. You know what I mean? Right. So they, they, it, I think this is a valid point to discuss. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going dis- to disagree with that at all. I think it's, um, you know, if someone just had uh, a family member pass away from cancer, they probably don't want to have, you know, cancer talked about in their game, you know? So, right. So, uh, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. And as a DM, I don't want to, you know, do that. I mean, there's limits to what you can do. And some people, you know, may have enough hangups that they probably shouldn't play in the game or should find a different game to play. I won't say they shouldn't play a game, but, but to be fair, I don't, I don't, because it's not going to be fun. That's super uncomfortable if all of a sudden you see a player kind of withdraw and, you, you know, they have an issue. Now you've got to fix that so you've derailed your own game. Yep. Nobody wants to do that. Right. So. Right. Uh, number five on their list is railroading. And that's mm-hmm. a common, I think, bugaboo that a lot of people would probably put on, you know, bad DM traits. And they make a point of saying that they're not talking about, you know, you can't have just a linear adventure path or something. They're talking about more or less just having only one solution to a problem or somehow taking away the player's decision-making and stuff. Which I think was great. I, I like their def- I, their definition of railroading, you know, lines with mine. Yep. I, I, I agree with that. Linear doesn't mean a, ra- a railroad isn't a linear game, but it's when you tell the players, no, you can't go through that. You know, you have three doors and they're going to go through one of them. Yep. No matter what they try to do. Right. Or you won't let them, you know, oh, well, I tried to pick the lock. Oh, you can't pick it. Well, we're going to take the door off its hinges. Oh, you can't get to the hinges. <laughs> you know, I'm going to shoot it with a fireball. Oh, it's magic proof. Yep. You, you know, that that's yeah. railroading. Right. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. I thought I thought how they handled this was just fine. Yeah. Um, and I agree with um, everything I can remember that they said. Um Number six is inconsistent and unfair rulings by the DM. And again, hard to argue with this. It would probably be on one of my, if I were to create a list, it would probably be on there as well. Right. The, the idea is if you have to make a ruling on the fly, that you keep that same ruling throughout the game. Yep. So you don't decide, you know, if we have to jump over a chasm and we don't have rules in the game to do that, Whatever you decide to do, whether it's a, you know, a save and throw against dexterity or whatever you're going to choose, mm-hmm. choose that same thing every time they encounter that situation. Yep. You or, know, until you find those rules in the book or after the session, if you sit down with the group and say, hey, guys, what, what do you think about the way I handled that? 
how, how should we handle this in the future? Right. And, and discuss it together. Yeah. And I thought they brought up a good uh, example, too, of, like, if you do reach some kind of impasse, like you're arguing in the game over, over this point, like jumping the chasm or something, and the player who maybe has, you know, a 7 dexterity and a 16 strength is saying, no, I think it should be a strength saving throw. And the players and the DM thinks, oh, it should be a dexterity saving throw. Um, okay, then maybe you just roll a die and one through three goes the player's way, five through or four through six goes the DM's way. And after the session, you come to an agreement on how you're going to do it in the future. But during the session, just like resolve it and don't, you know, waste all this time. So, yeah, I thought this was a good um, discussion that they had as well. Yeah, I have no, no, no problems here for me. Uh, number seven on their list was deadly or adversarial encounters. Yeah, and this is a th- th- this one. I think we're going to have some good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know they they do go out of their way to say, you know, by advocating that to like specifically design uh, monsters or villains that undo the powers of the characters to make it, you know, like you're designing the villain to be PC proof basically, um, or just create an unwinnable situation or something. Yeah. I, I guess I don't know of any DMS that have ever done that at least mature DMS, maybe when we're, you know, 14 or 15, we're just, you know, being dicks or something, but, uh, well, I don't uh, know. There are a lot of monsters and especially first edition that, that are specifically PC traps and specifically. Yeah. The, to... Yeah. There's like the Nilbog and stuff like that. And um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but I know what you mean that there are, uh, and there are some monsters that just like only have one thing that can affect them or something, but uh... right. Yeah. I, I don't remember. I should have made a list before we started, but the, yeah, there's a creature that's kind of, it's exactly like undead, but it's not undead. So turning doesn't work against it. And then you have like the, the, like I said, the spore thing. You have the thing, it's like a beholder. Oh, the gas spore, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. gas spore. And you had the, yeah, there's a lot of gotcha monsters in. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, they're also talking about, you know, not being adversarial and creating situations that create uh, discord and and uh, and disagreements with the, among the players and stuff. But, you know, in my experience, it's the players tend to create the adversarial situations among themselves through their, you know, role playing and character choices far more than like the DM does. Uh, so it's it's usually more about like, well, my character wouldn't do this, uh, or you haven't you've been you know dissing my god. The cleric says something like that, so I'm not going to heal you or something, or or the thief, the classic thief pocketing the the gem they find and and keeping that treasure for themselves. If that's discovered, then, you know, those types of things create far more adversarial situations among the players in my experience than anything I've introduced or other DMs introduced. So, right. And, and those, in fact, those two examples to some degree are right out of um, the, the examples in BX. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You you know, so they're not, yeah, they've been around forever. The, The other thing they mentioned here in this section is dungeon master meta metagaming against the players. Yeah. Which I, 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 the key here is I, 
I mean, I don't, the dungeon master per se can't metagame, but your NPCs can, right? And 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 the opponents can, and they shouldn't have knowledge that they shouldn't have, and right. that's true, right? You, you know, your your enemy, your enemies shouldn't know that you only have one spell left for today, right? That kind of thing, yeah. You, you know, um, and, and you definitely shouldn't be doing that. That's definitely a bad damn trade. I I agree with that. Yeah, or for that matter, like if if your magic user isn't wearing the classic conical star and moon cap and robe and carrying a staff <laughs> and mm-hmm. now, you know, wearing a banner that says I'm a wizard, you know, it doesn't mean that the, all the monsters try and bash that guy first because they want to take up the magic user, you know? So it's right. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the other thing though, that goes with this is this is a little bit of a five E thing in, in games where you have like challenge ratings and things right. like that. So wherever that's are, because I don't think having different level part, you know, sometimes you're going to face foes that are, or you should be facing foes that are lower level than you. You know, that gang of thugs in the street doesn't know what level your party is. Right. So they might still try to jump you when, you know, that first level gang of thugs might try to jump your fifth level party. Right. And, and you might come across that dragon when you're second level where you should run away from it. Yep. Yep. You, I, you know. Yeah, I'm all about the world making sense, not, you know, uh, having a catered experience for your, your players or like elevating things so that you, once you're fifth level, you're never running into giant rats anymore. I mean, it, right. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, the next thing that they come up with if, for number eight on their list is alignment policing. Yeah. One interesting thing, this is the only time where they kind of do a little bit of um, differing views. Mm-hmm. So, so in this section that you kind of get, to, you know, you, you get an argument for alignments and kind of an argument against alignments, where the rest of the they're totally on on the same sheet of music for the rest of this. Yeah, which I kind of wish they had kind of you know done a little bit of opposing views for the rest of it as well. Yeah, it would have been more interesting if they had some disagreements instead of being in lockstep on this. But yeah. maybe maybe that's their style. The dungeon dudes are just a, a single entity. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I mean they they talk about. It it seems like in general they're not really all that in favor of a, of alignment, or at least not as a straitjacket. And what they're talking about with alignment policing is the DM stepping in and and either penalizing the players for not adhering to their alignment, behaving in a way that's not in in conjunction with what they view of the, uh, their alignment representing, or or forcing them or trying to force them to make certain choices due to their alignment. You know, a lawful good person wouldn't do this, so you can't do it. Um, right, yeah. They, they specifically said, you know, example of a DM telling a player, you can't do that because it's against your alignment, yeah. which I agree is a horrible DM trait. That, that shouldn't happen. Yeah. I, now, if, if a character's acting against their alignment, I think you should be enforcing that. But you can do that through dreams. You can do it through visions. Um, yeah. You can do it through, you, you, you know, different, there are different ways to do that. If it's bad enough, I mean, the guy, you know, their deity could just pop up and tell them or, yeah. you know, burning bush appears, but you could do it through like portents and there, there's tons of ways to do this Yeah, without and, just saying you can't do that. Right. And maybe just between sessions, they have a conversation and say, you know, I don't, you know, if, if you want to behave this way, maybe you shouldn't have chosen, you know, neutral good. Maybe you should just be true neutral or something or, or, uh, but Really, I mean, if if you're not going to enforce alignment at all, I don't really see much of a point of even having it. Um, 
unless you're just having it strictly for the game mechanisms, you know, like the protection from evil spell or detect evil or whatever, or intelligent swords causing damage if someone of a opposite alignment picks it up or, you know, that kind of s- stuff. But Right. Well, and the one dude talks about how, you know, he doesn't like alignment because he wants characters to be able to have character growth. Yeah. But, you know, changing alignment could be part of character growth. Right, exactly. I, I don't see that as being a problem. Now, to me, and, and I know you and I disagree with it, this a little, it depends on the game world. I'm actually in favor of paladins being lawful good and, and not having paladins of every alignment. I know you're, you, you're fine with having paladins of all different alignments. But, but regardless, it, you know, ha- maybe losing powers or this is a result of that change mm-hmm. because that is your character development. If, you, it, it, in re- you know, if you're a gang member in real life and you leave the gang, your life's going to change drastically. Yep. You know, right. So things are going to change. It's not all going to be easy or yeah. necessarily good initially. Right. Yeah. So, and you know, to be clear, like if, if we're talking about like the AD and E first edition paladin or second edition paladin or whatever, I think the powers that they give that character are in line with a lawful good character. So I'm fine with that class set up the way it is. Mm-hmm. I just think it's kind of cool to have different, like, making a champion of different deities other than just a lawful good deity is something something you could do as a house rule or whatever but anyway we're we're rambling again so moving on to number nine enabling problem players yeah and Uh, this is a good point you you have to unfortunately one of the things is a dm it's like being a boss at work you you know you, you can't be scared to you know, to talk to somebody when there's a problem. It doesn't mean you have to call them out in game, but mm-hmm. after the game, I mean, it's kind of your job to step up and talk to them. Yeah. Well, it, but do you think it's really only the DM's job or do you think it's, it's primarily their job? I, or, I think, or, I think like anybody a, could do it, but I mm-hmm. think if nobody else wants to do it, it, it does fall to the DM. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think that's usually how the dynamic works. I wish it were different especially if the problem were between two players rather than just, mm-hmm. um, you know, one player causing a problem for everyone in the group. But if there's just two players that don't see eye to eye on something, I, I don't really, then um, I, I prefer that they just act like adults and work it out amongst themselves. But yeah, sometimes you kind of just have to step in and say, you're bringing us all down with your bickering or something, but right. I thought it was interesting that when they, so they list um, some of the problem players, they list four things, metagamers, cheaters, power gamers, and spotlight hogs. And then they say, and more, but, but I thought it was kind of interesting because (laughs) they're a lot of their videos seem to cater, or at least the titles, the clickbait titles, seem to kind of cater to the power gamers. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. I don't know if they're if, if they really feel like that's a, a problem player, or maybe I'm just reading into the titles of their videos and they're really not telling you how to like create the ultimate beast. But no, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. And so, so I don't have any issues per se with this point um i I agree with you it'd be nice if the group or other people could address things but i but i kind of do see where it is does follow the dm to do that yeah because usually your dm is kind of your group leader 
Yeah. I've only had one situation where there was clearly one person that was the problem. You know, they butt, mm-hmm. they butted heads with anyone that seemed to DM and they butted heads with virtually everyone at the table at one time or another got into a shouting match with them. So we finally just said, yeah, this isn't working. And even though we played war games, he, this person just seemed to have this mindset of having this adversary. This It was a competition. It was, you know, a game you were trying to win rather than, you know, what, what D&D kind of is. So, right. And the last topic that we alluded to before is number 10 on their list, the forever DM. The idea of someone that feels kind of obligated to DM all the time because they feel like the, you know, the game group will just fall apart. They won't play if they're not the DM. Well, you have a little, I, I won't say experience in this, but you kind of alluded to this a little bit in the past. Where maybe uh, not forever DM, but where, because I think you've had other players step up to DM in the past a little bit in your group. Yeah, we actually, I'm, we pretty much split DMing. Uh, it's primarily me and Keith that DM. Uh-huh. I, I think I tend to DM a little bit more than Keith, but it's, I think it's more that I just prefer DMing. And Keith, I think, is, is a little bit more on the uh, side where he's, he, he likes playing and he likes DMing. I like playing if the game, you know, but I have a very uh, uh, narrow taste or something. I, I don't know. I'm like I said, I'm a crap player. So, but yeah, I, I, I get the, the gist of what they're saying. Um, they also talk about, you know, like if you're burned out, you should just pass the reins, you know, recognize if you're not having fun as a DM or that you need a break or something and let someone else take over for a little while. So, Which is good advice. If, if yeah. you're dreading prepping for a session, yeah. then maybe just sit back and let somebody else do it for a little while and recharge. And yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Yep. Yep. So in, overall, I think this video, I mean, would I recommend someone watching it? No, not really. I don't think it was eye-opening, but you and I have been playing the game for a long time too, so... Uh, were maybe jaded or something. I didn't think there was anything particularly eye-opening. If someone was just brand new to DMing, yeah, go ahead and watch it. And uh, I, there's probably a lot better videos, a lot more entertaining videos out there. Like you said, it, it was pretty boring. Uh, I'm I'm kind of amazed if if this is what their shows usually like that they've got this many followers. But yeah, I I, I am too. And and like I said, I have not tried to watch any of their actual plays mm-hmm. i did click on you know a different video of theirs that was a like this a, a list a top 10 or top five list yeah and like scrolled through it and it looked like it was just you know no other graphics and nothing else going on yep i yeah i don't know and none of this advice i mean it's not horrible advice throughout but right it, like you say there's nothing ground sh- shattering here there's nothing you know amazing or unique with, with any of these comments yeah and i mean i am a little bit troubled by the tone that it does seem like they seem to be in the camp of the dm being kind of an entertainer and uh and it's your job to make the the game experience fun and all that and uh i'm not i'm not a big fan of that concept and maybe i'm just reading into it and too sensitive to those things and stuff but uh 
I just have a different concept of how the game works than than a lot of other people seem to. And it seems I, I'd guess these guys are in their thirties. I'm I'm a bad judge of age, but um, mm-hmm. it might be a generational thing too. So, but well, th- that might be, and and they and they're maybe coming at it from the idea of actual plays too. I think right running a successful actual play is different because that's more performance Yep. and, and, and different people say different things about this, but, but honestly, the, it is a different skill set to some degree Yeah. than a, you know, and, and if people come to a regular game expecting actual play, you know, then you can potentially run into problems. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. If someone, if one of your callers had, called you and said hey jason i'd really be interested in you putting together a show where you had a top 10 list of terrible dm traits in D. do you think you would have had many of these things on your top 10 list well i i don't know i'd have to make the list to be honest i think i so let's go through them not being prepared for the game yeah, that, that would be a terrible trait. I don't know that I would have thought of that because I don't know if I expected somebody just to show up not ready to run. Right. But, that's, but yeah. yeah, if you show up and haven't looked at the module yet, your your first time seeing it's at the game, <laughs> that's definitely a terrible trait. Um, favoritism is, a again, it's not something you know, I expect to see, but it, yeah. it's a good one. Probably, so the ability to listen now. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, my issue with some of these mm-hmm. things is I wouldn't have really thought of it because or a lot of these things as a problem to list because, to me, it's just, I don't know, it's a lot of this is just about, like, communicating and, and just understanding group dynamics. And um, it's almost like uh, you could use this set of... of uh, how to or what not to do in a lot of things, like how to run a meeting and stuff like that, you know? Well, so, yeah, exactly. The To me, a top 10 traits would have things like, you know, overly long monologue sequences and, and, and where the DM is more interested in telling his story. So that if the DM's talking a lot more than any of the players are, yeah, you, you know, not giving them a chance to interact because you want to, you know, if you're talking for five, 10 minutes, without giving them a chance, not because they're not saying anything, but because you've got this huge list of things you want. You know what I mean? I think that's more of a problem. Yeah. And, and to me, it would have been like reinforcing like genre elements and, and, uh, and talking about uh, just creating exciting adventures or, or um, interesting situations and, how to weave different storylines together and stuff like that. And while this is a top 10 for terrible DM traits, you could just, you know, turn things on their head to come up with that. But yeah, we could, we can maybe do a, uh, some more shows and maybe look at some other videos too. Cause I know they have one on seven player traits or something. So maybe seven principles for D and D players, but we're also running up against the clock here because Anchor gives us 45 minutes to record, and we're at 44. So, Yeah, um, we probably need to cut the short. So yeah. thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Hope we can do this again. And I know we've got a couple of other irons in the fire, so look for some more collaborations between the two of us. And uh, until then, don't go down in a heap.
All right. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you.